Hello, and welcome to the Consistent Profits Podcast, brought to you by Inside Out Trading and Brian McAvoy, where the focus is on consistency, because when you have the consistent part down, profits become easy. Hello, everybody. This is Brian McAvoy with another episode of the Consistent Profits Podcast. I'm excited today to be interviewing Serge Berger. He's creator of thesteadytrader.com and also Blue Marlin Advisor. Uh, and we're going to be talking about both today. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Serge. It's great to be here, Brian. Thank you. Now, for those of you not already familiar with Serge, he's been an active trader since 1998. Uh, during his career, he's been a financial analyst. He's dealt in uh, fixed income instruments at J.P. Morgan and was a proprietary, <clears throat> proprietary trader in equities, equity options, and futures. Having had exposure to a range of different asset classes allowed him to identify which asset classes and strategies best fit his goal of achieving consistent profits. Over the years, uh, Serge has created a trading methodology that divides markets into different time frames and characters, allowing him to more clearly and without emotions determine the strategies to apply in different situations. He uses a repeatable rules-based approach to the markets. Um, now, along with being a seasoned veteran, uh, Serge uh, is a, uh, an investment advisor, and we're going to speak to both of those today. So uh, again, thanks for being here and being game for the interview, Serge. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Now, um, I, you know, as far as uh, getting into uh, all that you have, I mean, trading is a very unusual uh, occupation, you know, not very, very, we're, we're a small percentage of the population. Uh, so how, how did you actually get your start in, in trading? I started trading, I was a, I was a golfer in high school, and then went to university for that as well. Um, but when I was Playing in high school, I used to, uh, of course, you know, on the weekends and in the evenings, play play at the golf course at home, you know, and and I would play with with these gentlemen that were, you know, rather well off, and you know, they were seemingly much older, much younger now that I think about it than that they seemed to me at the time. So I think, and I don't think anyone were a lick over fifty, but they were just playing golf all day, and they had these TVs in their cart, and they were on their phones. Remember back in the days where like this is the dinosaur brick phone. And, and I just, and they were, you know, watching these squiggly lines on TV between golf shots. It was, it was like futuristic. <laughs> and so anyway, I got into it then. And I ended up actually managing a little bit of money one of these with, for one of the guys a little bit together with him in high school. And then I went on to college, went on to, uh, 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 went to whole investment banking thing, uh, worked at JP Morgan, you know, as an investment banker, and then moved on from there to, uh, to the, 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 the fund management side. Okay. Uh, which in, in many ways I reside to this day uh, at Blue Marlin Advisor. Okay. Um, now, but so when did you actually start trading your own account though? Oh, um, uh, my own account. Well, I didn't really have much money until like college. Okay. And, and even then it wasn't much, right? Yeah, even then, so, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, probably, probably in college. Right. But I think, you know, one of the things about trading and investing is, is, there's a steep learning curve and it's actually a quite long learning curve. And so I was fortunate not to blow up my fortune too many times uh, and get my hopes up too much until later on. I and mean, you always end up blowing up a couple accounts. I think that's par for the course, yeah. uh, literally. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think I was, I was fortunate and unfortunate in many with different ways, you know, we all, it's life has ups and downs, but, but fortunate enough that I was able to learn like, really see the inside of the market through the lens of the investment banking at JP Morgan, right through the great financial crisis 
and and uh, you know that really taught me a lot of things about kind of principles we live and die by right now on the fund management side. Huh. Okay. Cool. Um, well, so you've had an interesting uh, career path, and so you've had some unique. Uh, you know, looks at the market, been able to learn from some different people, you know, how they perceive it and everything. I've heard you make the comment, or actually there's a couple of things I wanted to ask about. The first one would be, I uh, heard you on, on one of your recent uh, YouTube videos, you, you, you posed the question, is the golden age for stocks over? And so if, I, I'm, I'm curious because, yeah, a lot of people are, are kind of asking the same question just because of the run we've been on, but what we're seeing lately. So if you could expand on that, that would be excellent. Sure. Um... Well, as, as you obviously know, we've had a big run, um, largely due to, you know, lots of uh, uh, essentially fiscal spending uh, and monetary policy, ultra loose, ultimately interest rates went near zero uh, in the United States, in uh, parts of Europe, they actually had negative interest rates. Um, and then that came to an abrupt halt about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And so... We're now at a point where interest rates are, uh, in in absolute terms and historically speaking, not all that high. True. The problem is that we went from zero or near zero to five and a half percent over the course of 18, 19 months. Mm -hmm. And it's that shock to the system, that that resetting that I think a lot of people um, are not aware of what that historically at least has done and meant for uh, future returns in the equity market. And oh, by the way, the S&P 500 has actually gone nowhere in two years, zero, right? So I think a lot of people are just not quite aware of what is actually happening because there's only seven stocks that are driving, you know, things higher. Like even just the other day, everyone made a big deal. CNBC had like a special session about how amazing the stock market is on a day when the Russell was down one and a half percent, the S&P was up by this much. And the equal weighted S&P was that way. It was just, it's laughable, right? Um, notice I'm not saying this is the end of the world and the stock market's going to crash. That can happen. That's not my base case. Right. I just think we need to understand that in a higher interest rate environment, higher than we have for the past 10 years, things are going to reset. And oh, yeah. that is what I mean by the golden nature of stock, which does not mean that stocks, some stocks can't do great. Some stocks will do amazingly well, but it won't be the S&P 500 most likely. Yeah. Well, just some, uh, I mean, you mentioned a couple of things that have been really pertinent to what we've seen over the last several years, uh, like the near zero interest rates. I, I know one thing a lot of corporations were doing was they were borrowing um, because it was almost free money to buy back their stocks, which made the, you know, the, the, the like the CEO and everybody look real good because um, they're, you know, they're able to float their, uh, their, their stock prices. And so they're getting their bonuses and it's like, no, they're not really adding value. But then you've also, and so it's so the the easy money has made it easy for a lot of corporations that now with things being more traditionally priced, it's going to be a little more challenging. Because yeah, like you mentioned, I, I remember growing up, the, the standard in, common interest rate was around like four between four and seven percent. It kind of floated around in that range, and then when it dropped down near zero, that was the anomaly. It just lasted for a long time until everybody got used to it. So for there to be some interest. But yeah, it's it was the jump that really uh, had the big impact, and how the you know how that affected the bond market as well, uh, the jump in interest and, and bond yields. It's exactly right, and you know people's people's memories run short. Um, what we know is that the typical do-it-yourselfer or retail investor at home 
tends to do an asset allocation of longer term money based on what the stock market did the past three months. <laughs> right. So that tells you a little bit something about that. Most and most do it yourselfers do a lot worse, by the way, than than the people who have at least some sort of an investment advisor, which we can always talk about that later. But let, let me just say one other thing about this, if you don't mind, about the the question or you pose about the golden age of, for stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, we didn't really have much of a golden age for stocks to begin with. There's only a few stocks that actually did really well the past 10 years. Um, that's another thing. Um, in the United States, that's true. The German DAX is unchanged for, I don't even know. It's like, it's ridiculously long. Cause the German DAX take, has, uh, has dividends calculated in there. Uh, if it didn't have dividends in, the DAX would be flat for like about as long as you can look back, like with a reasonable time frame. <laughs> and it's not that much different for the S&P. Found. So a lot of people are just not aware that the average stock hasn't done much. True. Um, the other thing that I would say about this, I just got back from a conference uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, it was an investment advisory conference uh, for, for, uh, for investment advisors and money managers. Mm-hmm. And I was walking around these sort of the convention hall, you know, the booths where they yeah. offer stuff. And um, I was looking at all these different funds and prospects and brochures and in every single one of them I flipped through, went back, you know, showed us a track record. Right. You know, you got to have a track record. <laughs> and then I, um, I, we had lunch, had lunch with a, bu- a bunch of other fund managers. And I was like, did you guys notice something in that, in that, in that convention hall over there? And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. And I was like, did you realize that every single one of these brochures went back exactly 11 years? Like none of them went back more than a decade. Like <laughs> did the stock market like start 11 years ago? <laughs> no, but the stock market, and I'm going to use the bubble word here loosely, right? But right. the vertical leap started 11, 12 years ago at this point. Yeah. So every damn asset, excuse my language, in the world there basically went straight up because rates went down, right? Right. Uh, I mean, it's, it's laughable. It's, it, to the whole thing is laughable. Now, it's not to mean that we can't make money from that. In fact, the easiest trade, the, the best trade over the past 10, 11 years until about two years ago was to just buy the S&P. It was amazing, right? That's why everyone felt wealthy. But now we've gone sideways in two years and people are way underweight bonds and they don't want to buy bonds because they think it's boring because, hey, I can buy NVIDIA. So anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. I know, sorry. But I hope that at least somewhat addresses your question you're asking before. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that was that was excellent and and yeah, entertaining as well. Um, well, as far as the golden age, well, just in general, I mean, because one other statement that you made that I, I definitely wanted to see, you know, what your what it is that you're you're saying behind it. You, you, I've heard you make the comment that most people don't understand how the stock markets really work. And so, yeah, what what did you mean by that? Because I mean, of course, mo- of course most people. You know, they, they look at the stock market, they've, they've learned what they've learned, they've been exposed to it, what they have, and so they feel like they have a decent handle on it. But as we know, that's really easy to do with a lot of things and still be missing some critical information uh, or perspective. So, uh, what, yeah, if you would enlighten us a little bit on that. Yeah, um, there's a lot of different points on that. I'll try to highlight on sort of the most, the most interesting ones, if I can kind of figure out the order. Um, the first thing I think would be that I think there's a mis- a big misunderstanding um, about timing. Okay. So, um, like for example, I it was this was about four years ago. It's just before the pandemic. I got a call from CNBC. It was pretty late in the day, like a five p.m. day or four thirty call, and they wanted me to go on 
and be bearish on Apple. That would that would they were telling me what my view was. Oh really? And um and then I was like, okay, well, first of all, I'm not bearish Apple, but let me hear you out. Right. And they said, oh, by the way, you're a day trader. I'm like, I'm also not a day trader, but whatever. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, what's the point? They're like, well, you have to be, you have to make this bearish case on Apple against this other guy who's long-term bullish. And his name is Kevin O'Leary. It's, it's some guy on CNBC. Right. And I was like, okay, well, first of all, uh, that's dumb because that's not my view. And second of all, <laughs> what's even dumber is that he's long-term. I'm supposed to be short-term. That's like that. You can't, you can't even have a conversation that way. Right. right? So <laughs> I would argue that most conversations on CNBC, this is not an anti-CNBC con, by the way, I think there's fine content there as well. Uh, <laughs> not everything, of course, but you know, most conversations could basically stop, right. Wouldn't even happen if you could all agree on the same time frame. But most of these guys on these shows, they're just like, you know, this, that, and the other. One guy's talking 10 years, the other guy's taking 10 minutes. Right. You can't have a conversation that way. So I think there's a, a, a misunderstanding of what time frame is. If you ask the average investor at home, are you bullish or bearish Apple? They will, they will actually give you an answer. The problem is you didn't, they didn't specify the time frame. Is it for the next two days, two right. weeks, two months, two years? They're just bullish. That means nothing. So that's one thing. Along the same lines, if we dig a little bit deeper, is understanding of where equity equity market returns come from. Are you question was about the equity market? Well, yeah. first of all, the equity market has a correlation of like 0.95 to something called money supply. Okay. And there's a lot more details there, yeah. um, sort of through a, a you know a, a quarter over quarter, at least or year over year basis. So money supply drives pretty much explains most stock market returns. Most people don't even know money flows. They don't have to know what it is, but they should at least make an effort to understand where the stock market is from. Okay. The other thing is that fundamentals don't matter much in the, in the near to and immediate term. So you can have a pristine balance sheet company, but it, money flows will drive the intermediate things. Like for example, as we're recording this mm -hmm. uh, a few days ago or the, or the week and a half ago, we've had a really massive squeeze in the equity market. A lot of that's based technical and really based on flows. So, you know, making that again, it's a time frame question. So when I say not understanding the market, they don't understand what drives the 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 different the different time frames in, in the markets. And that's you know, and then and then the third thing I should, if I could add on that, is really not even recognizing that there are other assets in the world than stocks. Right. Now the stock market's important, but it's like about the fourth largest market in the world. So you have the bond market first, and you have then you have uh, well, depending on how you would take swaps into that market and everything, and then you have the currency markets, you know, all those markets are way larger than the equity market. The equity market's important, mm -hmm. but it's not the only market in commodities and so on and so forth. So, you know, not what I started doing a few number about 10, you know, about eight, nine years ago, I started like sh walking people through what it, what it looks like on, on a, on a, on a, at least what I do on a professional's desk, I guess, mm -hmm. looking at the markets and, you know, they couldn't believe that I was looking at the dollar index and not at all looking at the equity index when I woke up. But I was telling them, if I look at, if I know what the dollar is doing, I can more or less tell you with pretty good accuracy what the bond market's doing, what the equity market's doing, and probably what some commodities are doing. Um, but it was mind blowing to them to understand that the returns don't come from your favorite 50-day moving average on Apple, right? And I draw a simple line and then I go crazy on stock tweets and tell everyone how amazing my research is. But actually that, that is a pretty complex darn thing we're trying to do, you know? Uh, huh. Very cool. Yeah. And some interesting perspectives, especially uh, you bringing up the money supply. 
Now, part of it, I mean, and for anybody who goes and Googles money supply, if you haven't heard of it before, there are different money supplies that, that you can reference. So generally, are you looking at like the M1 or M2? The M3 is kind of a ghost out there. So, yeah. Um, I mean, what are you generally referencing when you when you're saying that the money supply? Yeah, I I typically I typically will will look at uh will look at M2, and then I am I'm just to be clear, I'm not a doctorate here on this kind of stuff. I just see the correlations. I've always followed them as a you know I I cut my teeth in the fixed income market. That's where I started as a bond bond guy, okay. and so you you tend to look more at that those kind of things. Um, but yeah, it's general just M2, and then there's. And then there's also the velocity of money, you know, is another thing you can look at that tends to be a bit more accurate. And again, I, I don't try to be a doctor on this. I'm not, um, you know, uh, this, uh, I just think a general idea of it is, is, is good enough. If you pull, if you go to the St. Louis Fed uh, website, if anyone cares to do that, um, have a look at that and type in M2 money supply and, and then add a chart of the S&P 500 or do it on your favorite charting platform. If you have a decent charting platform like a Bloomberg or some of the other tools out there mm -hmm. and you'll see it's just the same chart. And by the way, um, we've now had a lowering in M2 money supply, like actually it coming down, mm -hmm. like not stagnating for the first time ever, like ever, ever. We've literally never had that before. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens to the stock market. I don't have an answer. Well, okay. On that note, because I noticed when, when, I, start, when I first learned about money supply years ago, I found it interesting, just like with inflation, you know, CPI and all that kind of stuff. A lot of it all depends on what they're including <laughs> in in calculating the number, because they change the definitions from time to time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just well, like the CPI basket, which is basically irrelevant in many ways. But, you know. Yeah. Well, um, but no. Uh, well, I mean, as far as bringing up money supply and money velocity, that's a, that's a topic in and of itself that actually is very cool. Uh, if, if you're interested, for anybody listening, we're not going to get into it here, but just look up, you know, the velocity of money or, or money velocity. It's actually a really cool topic, and the whole the whole uh, field is very interesting and does have some impact on some things that you wouldn't you, you wouldn't think about or, or you know you weren't aware of. So you might want to look that up. But anyway, no, with the uh, with the money supply, um, I, I find that really interesting, but it makes absolute sense because like when, you know, the, the pandemic hit a couple of years ago um, and they're, you know, they're printing money and dumping it into the system and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> I was, you know, some people were coming to me and they're, they're like worried, you know, it's like, Brian, you know, I, I got my money invested over here. You know, I'm kind of nervous if we had hyperinflation or whatever, because they were seeing the parallels between. Yeah, you know, the the massive money printing and, and the blowing up of the money supply with other currencies, you know, historically that have failed uh, because of it definitely, you know, or directly due to that. Um, and so to see it actually shrinking now, to me, that's that's almost like is, is a reflection back to back in 1929 when uh, J.P. Morgan kind of engineered the, the Great Depression. And the main trigger on that was collapsing the money supply that killed all the smaller banks. He had enough in reserves between it with his bigger banks that he could go around all buy, buy all the small ones up. But the thing was killing the businesses and the economy was the money supply dried up. And so, yeah, you're bringing up the money supply as as a, a driving factor. That's yeah, that's excellent. Very uh, cool that you pay attention to that. But when I, if you ever want to read a good book, and anyone, it's a, it's it's actually more of a, it's more of an encyclopedia in terms of its size. When I first started working at J.P. Morgan, I was a young buck, couldn't, you know, green behind the ears. It was ridiculous. 
and this big i'll never forget i think i only saw him twice thereafter big managing director with like you know big tie and like it was it was just it was very um uh intimidating and he just pounded this massive book in my desk and i had literally more or less just sat down and uh over the course of the next three years it took me a long time to read it because it's a, it's a big one yeah. uh, i read it it's, it's called the house of morgan i think it's what it's called or, or the house that morgan built or the house of morgan one of those two okay and it's basically the jp morgan story and it involves the whole thing you know and basically how he you know some people will say that he kind of ended world war ii and and, and this is not my words right I, I i wasn't alive back then um anyway just really interesting how a banker at that point in time you know way 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 back from now hmm. uh with communication being basically you know nowhere near it is today oh, was yeah. able to have such a global influence uh really just fantastic oh yeah yeah indeed yeah, I, I I can imagine that the, the book on Morgan's an interesting read because yeah he he made some big things happen that that affect that, that actually still affect all of us today. What, wasn't he also involved in the creation of the Federal Reserve Act? That I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking that he was. I wouldn't I be surprised. I mean, this guy was everywhere. It's it's just a fantastic story, and and I'm I'm planning on reading it again. Yeah. Again, it's just it's a big one, yeah. but it was fantastic. Huh. Okay. Yeah. We, I, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to take, take it, take us down a rabbit hole here. But no, no, no. Money supply and everything. That actually is very, very, very cool, but it is worthwhile information though. And, and understandings that, you know, we don't just have the markets and they're there and they're in this isolated bubble. There are other significant factors that influence and sometimes drive the markets that, that aren't necessarily apparent to most, you know, your everyday person. And so it's good that you're bringing these things up. Um, and right along with that, um, one thing that we, we talked briefly about is, uh, I mean, of course, you know, this, this, uh, you know, this podcast is about trading and trading is, you know, I mean, of course, that's why everybody's here because people are traders. Um, but the, you know, you and I were talking about the importance that, uh, you know, for people to, um, you know, not have all their eggs in a trading basket, they, they, with their, with their wealth. They really need to be uh, probably, you know, if they're going to be wise, you know, with, especially with a long-term plan, don't ha- don't be betting the farm on trading. Trading should be, you know, kind of off to the side. But you want to actually be managing the, the better part of your wealth, um, and and you know, hopefully with some help. And it's fun because here now we can say, and I got to throw the question out just because it's, it's it's been baiting me ever since we we started here. Um, if, if you would just share your views on the difference between financial planners and investment planners. Yeah. Um, the, well, the difference between a financial planner or a financial advisor, the, 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 uh, we can play with the words here, right? But I'll just use the words that I use if you don't mind. So a financial advisor is typically someone who will make you a financial plan. Uh, they will asset allocate you money according to what, you know, the, for the big firm they work for tells them to, which means basically you have three buckets and that's it, right? So nothing tailor, is tailored. Um, and you know, they'll send you a statement and they'll ask you how your dog is and whatever. And that's, and that's great. Right. Um, <laughs> that's a financial and, and, and advisor and that, and that's, that's important. You need a financial advisor. Uh, but that's not an investment advisor. Uh, mm-hmm. An investment advisor typically is actually only available to people who have north of $10 million. Like Goldman Sachs doesn't take people, I think, unless they have at least liquid 20 million. And so it's typically reserved for that. Um, 
like we at Blue Marlin offer that for much, much, much more normal people. But what an investment advisor does is they will actually, they're investment specialists. They're not there to, I mean, we make financial plans. We have people who do that for us. That's not me. That's not my game, but we have people who can do that. But it's investment advisors, right? So like we're there to actually, for example, assist people, even if they want to trade with some of their money, right? So we'll allocate their money. We're in charge of the investments, specifically investments. But if they have a trade idea or something they want to call, they call us. If they call their financial advisor, that financial advisor does not know anything about the markets. In fact, I'll tell you, we have a lot of subscribers at the Study Trader mm-hmm. that are investment at financial advisors because they don't get the information they need. It's, true, it's 100% true. They don't get the information they need for for from the company, the big bank that they work for. And so they need better information to advise their clients with. Okay. You know, So I think people need to understand a little bit more what an investment advisor and how important it is, particularly for the trading community, which of course you attract here, right? Like guys, really consider an investment advisor, like an, an investment advisor. Notice, note the word here. It's not a financial advisor. It's someone who will call you with ideas, someone you can call if you have questions, right? Not every five minutes, but you know, certainly several times a month if you have to. And there's a huge difference between investment advice mm-hmm. and a newsletter. Oh, yeah. Right. So newsletters are great. That's information. That's research. You do that. I do that. That's great. The problem is we cannot give you investment advice, but an investment advisor, which is why we we created Blue Marlin Advisor for that. It's a, an actual a registered investment advisor. We are registered to be able to give actual advice. Like Joe, you have the so and so much in your portfolio. We think you should buy this and this much, like an actual amount of this and this call or whatever. Right. That kind of thing. We can very good grounding. And I think. And I think a lot of people don't understand how the trading stuff correlates with their broader investments. Okay. And, you know, as you say, you know, most people should not, no one really, as far as I'm concerned, should be trading anywhere near more than 20% of their money. Like I talk to our hedge fund uh, networks and everything every day. Mm-hmm. There's not a single person that's a professional investor that I've ever come across that has more than 10, maybe 20% of their assets that they trade with. Like not even not even close. Um, yet the investing public is still out there trying to live off of that uh, dream. Now again, trading is I do it every day, right? But I do it with smaller amounts of money, and I think people are starting to wake up to that a little bit too. So as we speak here today, Robinhood announced their numbers. I think the stock is down about fifteen percent because guess what? No one's trading anymore, right? Because it's it's it it's it's hard. There's wonderful opportunities every single day, right? But as long as we, we have to keep in mind, it's a risk management exercise, you know, and trading is great. And we, again, we, we do it, we want to do it, but let's do it with a certain amount of capital, not every penny we have. Oh, yeah. Well, I, another another way to look at it, um, because I, I, I preach all the time, you know, it's an old wisdom, but people put being able to put it in a context that it's actionable, you know, you've heard the wisdom, I'm sure, you know, treat your trading as a business. Um, been around forever, but for nobody, if, I mean, for somebody who's never started their own business or owned or run a business, they don't really have what that, they don't have a concept of what that even actually means. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, if, if, you know, you're working a job, you know, you got your career, you've been there for 20 years and it's like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of tired of this. I want to strike out on my own. You yeah. wouldn't take all of your money and sinking into, you know, like if you wanted to open a surf shop or a restaurant or whatever, you wouldn't take every penny you've got and dump it into that. You would take a little bit of your wealth and, and get get the business up and running. 
And same thing you would want to do with trading. Um, yeah, like, like you were saying, you don't want to take the bulk of your wealth. You want to have it to be a small percentage because trading actually is a business. It's not investing. It's, it, it's an investment in that business. But you're trading, just like if you're trading any other goods or services. Yeah. It's, a rate, it's an ongoing regular activity where you're buying and selling for profit. It's not long-term investing. And so, if you, but you have to treat it like a business. And if you look at it from that perspective, it's like, yeah, if, if I'm going to take my wealth, I'm only going to take a little bit and risk it on this business. I mean, absolutely. And, and as far as, you know, like you're all about little it's in your name, right? The consistency of, of, of trading. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I guess I'm question for you, if you don't mind, sure. what do you think about, do you see people struggling with the concept of the non-linearity of returns? Oh, sure. Meaning, meaning people have this expectation that they're just going to make money every week, every month, every quarter. And they're not aware that that does not exist. Like there's always big drawdown and big is relative, right? But drawdowns and it doesn't matter where you are in June. It's more important where you are in December. If you go calendar, mm -hmm. you, you, you kind of come across that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, and again, a lot of it is, it all depends on how you set up your business, um, the strategy that you use, because with any business, I mean, even if you wanted to get, say, real granular, let's say, you know, you don't even want to open a restaurant, you want to open a pizza place. There's still 20 different ways to run that business, mm -hmm. business models you can have. And so the same thing with trading. And what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, they'll look at any business, you know, like they drive by or, you know, retail, you know, uh, establishments. And they're thinking that those, you know, trading is different from that because we have this huge uncertainty in the markets. But every business has potentially huge uncertainty to deal with. You got uncertainty, you know, is your staff going to show up every day? Is the government going to shut you down on COVID? Are one of your suppliers going to crap out? Is the city going to decide to, you know, build in front of your parking lot, you know, for three months? You never know what kind of random event can have a serious impact on your business. So all businesses have, a, you know, a, an element of uncertainty. With traders, it's a little more of a daily basis. But there are ways to mitigate that that uncertainty and the swings, uh, depending on how you go about your trading business. Um, and like for a lot of traders, one of the best ways to mitigate it really is to keep their per trade risk low. Um, that's one of the best ways to mitigate the swings. I mean, if you're betting, you know, if you're if you're going five percent in five five percent of your account on every trade, you're going to see some big account swings. But if you're if you're only risking a half percent. You can have 10, 10 losing trades in a row and it's only knocking you down 5%. So you're not going to have as, as big a swings um, on a per trade basis. But a lot of it, yeah, it all depends on how you strategize your business, how, you, how you're going to, um, you know, your goals from the, you know, for the business, how much time you're going to put into it, how well you're going to skill yourself up, the model that you're going to put in place, all that kind of stuff. So there, there are a lot of variables in, in getting it sorted out. Um, but, yeah, you know, as far as the, the linearity, uh, back to your question, um, a, a lot of people, they come from a career where they've only worked for other people their entire life. And so they have kind of that employee mindset. I put in my time, I get a paycheck and it's extremely linear. Okay. Maybe I get overtime if I'm, you know, if, they, if they're you know, working the extra hours, yeah. but that's about it. And with yeah. business and trading, yeah, you can see some, some exponential moves that are very nonlinear. Um, so it isn't equated to effort or, uh, resources spent as far as returns, sure. 
Yeah. Well, we come across a lot of people that um, that are either still quite young in their career and they just have very little life experience. I'm talking about, you know, kids, usually boys in their 20s somewhere. Um, so it's nearly impossible to describe that to them just because there's a lack of, of, of life experience. Mm-hmm. However, we do see even more people just because they tend to have some more wealth uh, in sort of the 50 to 65 bracket mm-hmm. um, that want to retire. As you say, they kind of had it. They want to retire early and they come in with the same expectation. Now they have more life experience. Um, but I really always try very hard to to warn them of the nonlinearity of returns. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you say, a lot of ways to mitigate that. Uh, one way is to not bet the farm. Uh, other ways is to you know use strategies that actually have hope. Most <laughs> strategies, believe it or not, don't have hope. Um, you know. <laughs> true Very you know, so, hilarious but true yeah yeah it's, it's sadly hilarious right but uh but i think that's um <laughs> that's one of the things where i always want to be i'm always very careful and 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 usually when i say that i would like to see be the a fly on the wall and see what the reactions are of these people because a lot of times it's just phone calls mm-hmm. um but I, I think sometimes it's shock. Sometimes it's just, you know, I'm not listening to this guy. It's like literally just, you know, finger in my ears. Um, so I think even there, it's once someone has that in their mind, because they watched a lot of great commercials or infomercials on trading and all the amazing prob- things that are going to happen, it's nearly impossible to get it out of their head. And so typically they have to trip over the problem is the 20-year-old, 25-year-old can trip a couple of times. It doesn't matter. He can get a job. Right. What we tend to see is with the 55, 60-year-old, and that's not old, by the way, right? Now that's we are expected to live much longer. Um, it's going to be more difficult to make up those losses. And they tend to, tend to make very silly mistakes, uh, usually out of just frustration because they don't want to be in their job anymore. And I, I can fully understand that. Mm-hmm. Um I just wish I had more ways of walking them off the uh, the ledge, and it's 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 hard, you know, it really is hard. Oh yeah, yeah. Now part of, part of the reason I was uh, I was laughing there is you know as far as yeah some ideas being ridiculous, but also um, the <laughs> you mentioned earlier like as far as the golfing and everything and and things that don't help as far as the view that people have. Remember several years ago, um, I think it was uh, uh, E Trade uh, where they they had the baby. Um, oh, the old E-Trade commercials. Those are 90s, com- uh, uh, late, maybe late 90s commercials when they yeah. started. Those were so hilarious. But the, my, one, a couple of my favorites were, were, was where he's, you know, he's in the uh, the clubhouse of the golf. In the clubhouse, yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> not being able to pay. In the, it goes something like, uh, this is weak, man. <laughs> Calling the other guy Shankopotamus and all that. Shankopotamus, exactly. <laughs> Those commercials did not help the, the the average consumer. They helped the company a lot because they 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 conveyed this message. Oh yeah, so easy a baby can do it. It's like no, dude, you're just dragging people down the wrong road. Oh, for sure. And this is and this is in the late '90s, right? Or in the, into the early 2000s. Um, those E-Trade babies uh, retired, and there's actually one that came out just after, during or after the pandemic about the, the E-Trade baby coming out of retirement. Have you seen that one? 
No. He's, now he's a lumberjack somewhere and they come in with a helicopter and they're trying to getting him. It's it's anyway, and that happened right at the peak of the market again. So the E-Trade baby made its appearance at the peak of the dot-com bubble, more or less. Right. And again at the peak of the post-COVID bubble. So great timing. Uh, um, but I would argue, honestly, with the advent of, of you know, the, the phone and everything and, and brokers, and this is not an anti-Robinhood comment, just to be clear, I tend to be quite neutral on this, but the gamification of this and the ease of access on our phones and the confetti flying, you know, that does not help. It really doesn't. You know, back with the, the originally trade babies, you still had to actually be on a physical computer you know, now you can be in between two shanks in the golf course and yeah, wank out a trade, right? Um, it's crazy, you know. True, true. Well, um, okay. So back to uh, what what you do and with the uh, Blue Marlin Advisor, um, you said that you are are, are filling a, a, a gap uh, or a, a gap in the market because the, the bigger banks are targeting mostly 10, 10 million liquid and over investors. You said that you can provide your services for people that, that aren't necessarily at, at that level of means. So what actually is the group that you would be uh, able to service with your Blue Marlin advisor? Well, the, the reason we, I've always done this kind of stuff, right? So I've always done investment advisory you know, fund management, all that kind of stuff with people that are in markets. So I, a lot of times I, I do this for like family offices or high net worth people, but it doesn't mean that they have to have a fortune. The reason that banks can only offer that kind of service to those people is because they have a whole department of people that cost half a million each, you know, to call you. Um, we don't have that overhead, but we can, so we can do that. So, I mean, We've got people, you know, starting around $250,000 where you can start doing that. And again, it's not day trading. We're not going to call them every five minutes with a day trade. That's insane. Right. But for that, we have chat rooms and stuff on the steady trader side. But, you know, what I think is important is for people to have someone to talk to, you mm -hmm. know, and I know you offer great services. We have services and that's great information, but it's not someone you can talk to, someone who knows you specifically. Mm -hmm. So I think what people really should consider is if they're self-directed investors or at least part-time doing some of it with their, their own money, they mm -hmm. should take your research or and your stuff or whatever, wherever else you want to get it from, right? You get, you get it from anywhere, but then you need someone to, you need a partner. You need to talk to someone about this. Mm -hmm. And it, like, like your neighbor who looks at the stock market once a day, that does not count. Like it needs to be someone who's got a pulse in the market. And, and I think if people did that, they would, they would do a hell of a lot better than they are, they're doing, not even because they're going to be doing more profitable trades. Mm -hmm. They might, but because they can do less stupid mistakes. Oh yeah. And, you know, like I see it's, and it's, it's just mind boggling sometimes. Like someone buys a stock, they're not aware the stock's reporting earnings in two hours after the close, or they say, okay, well, this is great. The, this, this company's reported earnings last night. I'm going to buy the stock at the open or whatever. And then the company has an earnings, has the earnings call, the actual conference call at 10 o'clock East coast time. And then everything changes. There's just, it's just things like that, or not being aware of like major economic reports or not being aware that the stock market's the most highly asset, you know, highly correlated asset class in the world in terms of, you know, publicly traded markets. Um, 
just just all sorts of things like that. Like if you can literally have someone just keep you away from doing that, mm-hmm. most people would, would do a hell of a lot better than they're doing, you know? Yeah. And not to mention the fact that none of it's tailored when you get a newsletter. Like we're not allowed to give anyone advice. We can give them research and ideas. Right. Well, now as far as your in, investment advisory, uh, so do you keep your focus primarily to the, you know, stock and equity markets or do you also... When you're working with somebody, if they and if they say, well, you know, I want to invest in real estate or you know some of these some of these investment areas that are completely away from the stock market, do you work with them as well? Yeah. So my thing has always been more of a global macro focused, okay, which is really more of an asset allocation view of things. It's an understanding that the stock market does not live in isolation. It's as we said before, right? There's other markets around the world. Now, the average U.S. investor doesn't want to buy, care or care about, I don't know, let's say Japanese stocks or whatever, like something that's out, you know, rather outside the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of stuff the people like to do is just nowadays we have ETFs. And right. ETFs are wonderful in the sense that you can more or less play the word, the world with ETFs. Mm-hmm. There's an ETF for almost anything. As an ETF for too many things, probably, you know, uh, two times over. But if you want to take a view on, you know, French bonds or European bonds or the German DAX or you know anything inside the United States, of course, there's an ETF for that. Now, it's not perfect and, you know, but it's good enough for, for most cases. So I like to focus, you know, it comes back to a diversification game. Like if I look at the the, the people that that we advise that are rather high net worth, like their idea of diversification is so much more than most people could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Like it goes all the way to having different custodians. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm in Switzerland a lot of times. I'm, I, as I think I told you, I'm also Swiss. Right. And so one of the things that a lot, a lot of the wealthier Americans do is they also have some money at an SCC registered Swiss investment advisor. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is no more, offshore, you know, hiding money from the SEC. These are completely kosher SEC registered Swiss investment advisors. Mm-hmm. So why would someone do that? Well, um, diversification, right? So let's say you have an account or one has an account at whatever bank XYZ. I don't want to name a name. It's just any typical U.S. retail bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's say you might be a um, a surgeon, right? You get sued. Right. Well, Ultimately, it's a lot easier for, for your money to be taken away from you at your local bank right. than it is to ultimately go to that foreign jurisdiction where it's it's fully, it's 100% accessible still. But I mean, there's so many different ways, you know, sure. uh, for diversification. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so so you, you, you do focus primarily on financial instruments. Not, not, yeah, we, we do liquid markets. I'm sorry, I, I should have addressed that. Yeah, I mean, we'll look at other stuff. I'm not a, a real estate, you know, guru. We have people that do that, you know, where we, we, we get people to that are very, very deeply focused on that. But our focus is more on the liquid investment part. It yeah. goes into structured products, it goes into structured notes and, you know, special situation deals and things like that. Okay. Um, but all one of the things I learned early on is that you can't be a jack of all trades. Right. Um, although YouTube does a really good job trying to convince you that one can be or one is, you know, oh, yeah. but um, I don't know a single person that is good at private equity, really good at private equity, and also understands like, you know, liquid publicly traded markets very well. I, um, you know, I don't think it really exists. Okay. 
Okay, fair enough. No, I was just curious because, uh, you know, we were, we were comparing the, the difference between like financial, you know, the traditional financial planner and, you know, an investment advisor. Um, and I know that, yeah, you, we've got like the financial instrument world and then like, you know, business, like, like where you're buying and selling businesses, like when mergers and acquisitions um, or real estate or the, I mean, the, 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 the venues or whatever you want to call it is, you know, where you can go invest your money. It's a pretty broad range. I was just curious if you were working in the, these others as well. So, no, that's cool. So now with your, with your trading service, um, the steady trader.com now, so, okay. You know, we've been talking about mostly the, you know, investment side of things, but with your steady trader.com, you've got, uh, you know, your, your methodology that you've developed, um, and your, your way that you approach the markets. And so you also there, now you've got a couple of different courses. You've got your, your scan, what is it? A scanning tool. Um, and then you also have your community, correct? Yeah. The study trader you got there. Yeah, sure. Well, what happened is when I was working at JP Morgan, mm -hmm. one of the things that I was doing is, is I was writing this morning note. So when you work in an investment bank, you get all this research sent to you every morning internally. Right. And what I, uh, what I did is, is I would summarize some of that stuff in my own terms, mm -hmm. um, but I made it sound a little funny. Like it wasn't, wasn't like comedic, but it was, you know, I also put in some pop culture and, and so it became a really fun read in the morning. Right. And so after about two years or something like that, I, on the Bloomberg terminal, you can see who opens your message and message for function. And so after a couple of years, I, I was looking at who's opening a message and, and my clients were all like really big asset managers, like UBS or huge reinsurance companies and those kinds of things and some corporates. And I realized that like 80% of these people were opening my email. And these are like chief investment offers and stuff like that. And I was like, man, this is pretty cool. <laughs> so ultimately, when I when I quit JP Morgan, I left and I and I I just figured I'd continue kind of these thoughts and and then you know just a lot of people ended up following me and my own thoughts that were on my distribution list at JP Morgan and so on and so forth. And then what I basically ended up doing is developing an entire ecosystem out of the uh, my investment process that I had learned yeah. and was using, uh, including building software different strategies that I developed. And that has turned into the studytrader.com where, you know, we have multiple different uh, option strategies. We do some future stuff, a lot of equities and ETFs, of course, uh, including proprietary scanners and really need a couple of really neat indicators that come with chat rooms and, and courses, just a whole thing, right? For people to really educate themselves and, 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 uh, and, and trade and, or invest on their own. Cool. Yeah. So that's well. Now you also have uh, your uh, daily traders alert, right? That... Yeah. We one of the one of the things that some of the one of the programs, for example, includes like a trade of the day. Mm -hmm. You know, where we send out a, a trade every day uh, when there is one to do. You know, it's usually like a swing trade, but it's that's great. It gives you profit targets and stop losses. But I think to me, and I don't know, I would love to hear your thought, but to me, it's much more important. What's the context of a trade rather than the specific exact target and target one and two and stop loss? Now that's important, mm -hmm. but I'd, I'd, I'm more interested in what's the context. What's the reason for a trade? So like, for example, two weeks ago, we would close out of our shorts. Mm -hmm. um, that would be, you know, or, or, or when you're buying something, like what's the reason for buying something? Like I would much rather 
get an alert that says, okay, today I'm buying this because of that. Right. And it's not, yes, there might be a moving average or a line or something technical, but at the end of the day, the thought is usually much more complex. It's usually right. a couple of degrees away. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like, you know, you're obviously uh, very studied as, a, as an engineer. It's, um, and you, you could probably explain this better than I can, but it's the butterfly effect thing, right? Sure. Where like, you know, what's a, what's a butterfly flapping its wings have to do with a hurricane, you know, out on the ocean. Right. Um, you know, I think that is to me is much more interesting. I wish more people, and, and well, I should say this, I think once people understand that that's more important and we give them the exact profit targets and all that, but once they can understand the context, mm-hmm. they have a much easier time adhering, adhering to the, the risk parameters we send out. Oh, that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, just from a, a, a being being able to execute it and trust what what they're doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's exactly that's a big deal. Yeah, because a lot of lot. I mean, one of the main reasons that people are making mistakes is because they're second guessing themselves, or they have to have self doubt or doubt, doubt in their system and that kind of stuff. And so that's where a lot of the mistakes or hesitation or chasing trades all that kind of stuff comes into play. Is it's just that lack of confidence and trust. Well, it goes to your to what you're preaching about the consistency, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what what if you look at the the consistency or the lack thereof? What is like the number one or two things that you see reasons why people are not consistent or not as consistent as they could be? Maybe. <laughs> see, actually, that's a question I had for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure. I'm, I'm I'm happy to answer. I'd love to hear your thoughts too, though. <laughs> oh well, no. For me, the the answer is pretty easy. Um, <clears throat> the I mean, the biggest obstacle most traders have for um, uh, in, in dealing with inconsistency one of the primary ones is a lack of good training. Uh, they're, they're trying to do a job that they're not prepared for. And that undermines everything else. If, if you get the training where you actually know what you're doing, you understand, you know, why you do what you do and why it works, all that kind of stuff. Like I said, you just plain you have a good handle on and you, you have the skills and the knowledge base to, again, know what you're doing. That takes care of almost everything else. But if you're lacking that, you can throw everything else at it and it's going to be of limited value. So, um, but for you, I mean, seriously, that's, that's one question I ask all my guests because it's the consistent profits podcast is yeah. What do you see as one of the biggest obstacles? Uh, I had no idea. I wasn't trying to steal your thunder. I'm sorry. It's hilarious though. (laughs) You're the first one that's done that. So that's cool. (laughs) Sorry, man. I, 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 I'm sorry about that. Um, no, I, you know, I think, um, I agree with what first, definitely with what, what you're saying. I would argue that um, I would argue the lack of consistency um, has to do with the lack of really what I've been saying here for the past however long we've been chatting, uh, the lack of understanding of how, you know, of, of the, the fact that the dog wags the tail. It's like how, how I like to say it. <laughs> Good metaphor, yeah. So we just did our annual summit in Orlando and I, I, I usually start these things off with a beautiful picture of a, or a picture of a beautiful um, a golden retriever. I mean, just super, super beautiful dog. And, and I'm not like a pet freak, but this is a gorgeous dog right. and with a long tail and just beautiful. And, and I try to explain people that a lot of people will use, uh, they'll pull up a chart. They'll pull up the 50 day moving average or they have a magical unicorn Fibonacci number or something, which are not unimportant, by the way, right? But that's all they do. It's called a single factor analysis. An engineer, you can appreciate that that's not very helpful. Um, 
And so then they draw that line and they see that's exactly where the stock is right now. So it's going to hold there or it's going to bounce or find resistance here. The problem is that you're looking at the tail, right? That tail, that moving average will not dictate what that stock's going to do. Like it might, but it might not. So it's essentially, it's nothing more than a coin flip. Um, the reality is that the dog that's going to make that, that tail move is more something like an important economic data point. It depends where we are in the economic cycle. Uh, an earnings report, right? Um, something like that, that people find boring as all hell. The problem is it's ultimately what's going to either make you money or, or put you to the poorhouse. So I think that is probably the biggest lack of consistency that I see. People, people's unwillingness to care about the things that actually move markets. Like we started off with money supply. Mm -hmm. How many people do you talk to and, and, you can, can, and can you get excited about empty money supply? If someone, if you were, if you were an infomercial <laughs> at two in the morning and, or, or let, let, me, let me give you this example. I'll, I'll bring it back to the golf channel since you and I talked golf before, okay? okay? This is a true story. You know who Jim McLean is? He's a, he's a golf teacher. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he's got the seven step or 11 step golf swing DVD. This is like 20 years ago. Right. He would have this thing on, on the, on, on, on the golf channel. And he would be like, literally like, you know, he would have like this fan of like 20 DVDs. It was insane. Like you learn his seven or 11 step golf course in 20 DVDs. The next commercial right after that was, this is true story was this, um, it was a, a new driver with some like volcano, face like something face whatever and he would hit the ball 320 down the middle every time <laughs> what the hell do you think people are going to buy <laughs> you know so uh, there's there's you know <laughs> there's underwear trader xyz on youtube pretending to trade by the pool flashing his amazing new unicorn indicator right. and then there's me talking about m2 money supply what, what are people going to buy you know that's the problem. People are unwilling to learn what actually moves the markets. Yeah. <laughs> of course, part of it does, does depend on how geeky the people are, they are that you're talking to. Because see, somebody like me, you bring up money supply. Yeah, I get fired up. <laughs> of course. But you're also, you're also experienced, reasonable, you know, and, 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 and you can, I think, uh, you know, tell apart from what's realistic and what's not. Oh, yeah. And I think... Uh I would even go, honestly, I would even take this a step back and really bring it back to, are you in the markets to make money or are you doing this for entertainment? Oh yeah, big time. And that ultimately is the difference. If the people who are actually serious about it, and by the way, those people nine out of 10 times will ultimately also get an investment advisor to help them do, do the stuff they're trying to do themselves, right? Just as an FYI. Um, but if they're serious enough, they will understand, A, there's no quick fix, right? Um, uh, B, I need to lower my expectations. And, and I just got to take it serious. I have to treat it as a business, like you say. And you can really bring everything back to that. But the people who are in it for entertainment, you know, I hear so many people coming to us and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm serious. And then what happens? I hear back from them a month later, oh, I was on a cruise. On a cruise, what? I mean, that's great that you went on a cruise, but you were—I thought you were trying to make the trade and manage. Oh, I was on a cruise. I had left my positions open. You, you guys, you can't do that. You know, then you better. Then you shouldn't be a trader. Then be, maybe be a day trader. The problem, and a lot of people say. And, and here's another thing: 
<laughs> oh, I'm going to be a day trader because I don't have time. That's that's already a problem right there. And and you know, and I if I close my positions, then I can go on vacation. Okay, so here's the fallacy with that thought. So you're going to go on vacation, and you're going to tell me in those two weeks you're on on your cruise sipping uh, cocktails. That is exactly when the market is going to give no one any opportunity. And when you come back, that's when all the opportunity is going to be just, if they just waited for, for Jim to come, to come off the boat. No, that's not how it works. Right. So then why are you trying to be a trader? It's not going to work, man. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, that is funny though. No, you're right though. There are some people and, and well, part of it is just being honest with themselves for some people. Yeah. Not the majority of people that, that that have come to me, but I've run across a handful of them where, yeah, they 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 need to admit to themselves that they're honestly not really doing their best to make money at it. A lot of it is the thrill ride, the rush, and 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 you can just look at their track record. I mean, I, I had I worked with this one guy, um, and it took him a while to sober up. I mean, he had to lose about three hundred grand. And then he's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done messing around. I, I want some help. Um, but he, he had to lose the 300 grand because prior to that, it was just, yeah, make some money, give it all back, fund the, you know, lose more, fund the account again and go through that cycle over and over and over again. But he was addicted to the rush. He wasn't using his best judgment. Even when he wasn't in, in the trading, he still wasn't looking at things like, I want to take this seriously and make money at it. It was like, well, I want to, you know, and it was the, the excitement was what was driving it. And so, yeah, it's just, it, he had to finally be honest with himself that, yeah, it was the rush that he was here for, not, not to make money. And so, uh, but yeah, you bring up a lot of good stuff and it, <laughs> you do, you do have a good sense of humor and everything with the metaphors you bring up. It's a great, so, um, well, um, anyway, so we do need to wrap this up. Actually, we've been talking for close to an hour now. Um, so <laughs> we've been way over the normal limit, but absolutely worthwhile. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And for everybody that's listening, um, you know, if, if what we've talked about resonates with you at all, you know, you are serious about it. You do understand trading is not, you know, the end all be all, you know, for your financial future. You do need to be looking elsewhere, you know, some diversification and, you know, have not have your eggs all in this basket, but elsewhere and wisely invested. If you'd like some help with that, Serge does have some good services. He does believe in, you know, working with you and, uh, you know, beyond, he can help you with the trading, but also with, the investments side of it. So um, definitely, you know, swing by uh, uh, the uh, bluemarlinadvisor.com, correct? Um, it, it, to connect with you there on that matter and the steadytrader.com uh, for the trading uh, trading uh, help. Um, but yeah, don't just, you know, don't just listen to this and say, yeah, that was fun. And then forget about it and, you know, don't do anything with it. If, like I said, if any of it resonated with you and you're serious about making money, go ahead and, and connect with, uh, with Serge and, uh, you know, uh, you know, engage him in his, in his help because uh, he's a good guy. You can tell that he's, uh, he's got his head on his shoulders, right? Uh, he knows how to communicate. He's, he's a pretty, pretty smart guy. He's, and he's got a good measure of success that he can help you, uh, you know, reach your, reach your goals as well. So. Uh, and so, I'll say this, Brian, uh, yeah. first of all, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Mm -hmm. uh, this was a lot of fun. I love these conversations, but also I think, you know, where you stand for the, the consistency of profits. Uh, or 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 success, however however you want to put that, is 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 really really important, right? It's really about the repetition, um, and 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 again, understanding that there's no linearity in returns. There's a difference between expecting linear returns and becoming more consistent. 
and consistent, which I'm, I'm sure, you know, you, you, uh, you, you explain to people, but that is a hugely important fact. So I, you know, I congratulate you for, for taking that upon you because that's, that's really very, very important. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, well, any uh, final words of wisdom for our audience today? Um, I would say diversify. And when I say diversify, this does not mean that I need to, you know, buy Coca-Cola and some Cisco systems and some whatever. You, I think that's important. However, even from a trading perspective, we're talking about, you know, more proactive stuff here as well. You know, one of the things that I see people, a lot of people do is, is have, you know, no shorts versus longs. And from a trading perspective, I would argue that's not very well diversified because something's always going to go up and something's always going to go down. So, you know, yeah, yeah. Important. Uh, yeah. Not being a one trick pony. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, very cool. Well, again, yeah. Thanks for taking time out of the day uh, for doing this. Um, and everybody that's listening, I uh, applaud you as well for taking time out of your day to, you know, attend and, and learn and, you know, develop and grow as a trader. Uh, so again, you know, if, if you found us worthwhile, definitely act on what you, what you found here and uh, connect with Serge. And uh, we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Consistent Profits Podcast. Cheers. Thank you for joining us today on the Consistent Profits Podcast, brought to you by Inside Out Trading. Make sure to swing by InsideOutTrading.com and pick up your free copy of Break the Cycle, 10 things you can do to stop reinforcing the past and get your trading on the right track. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe on your favorite channel, and we'll see you on the next episode. Cheers.